0: welcome back to my channel so happy to have you here for another video if you are new Welcome. So, today we are going to be talking about a pretty wild case. We're going to be talking about Diana Lovejoy and Greg Mulvahill. And I am definitely looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this one. But before we get into that, I do have two short announcements. First of all, I am looking for some new graphic designers to work with me on a couple different projects I have coming up for the next year. This is a paid opportunity. So, if you are interested, there is a link below to apply and submit samples of your work. And again, this is for graphic designers for merchandise for the most part. I know I've got a lot of talented graphic designers in my audience, and I'm really looking forward to seeing these applications. So Diana Lovejoy. She was born on October 26th, 1972 in Southern California. When she was growing up, she attended Mountain View High School in Mountain View, California. And then she went on to get her bachelor's degree in psychology, literature, French, and music from the University of California, San Diego. And she graduated from there in 1994. There's not that much information on her from her early days, but growing up, her friends say that she was incredibly easy to talk to. She was known to be very smart. She was funny and she was also highly disciplined and very focused. She was not the party type, and instead she really, you know, honed in on her studies and maintaining her health. Being active was a huge part of Diana's life, whether that was swimming, bike riding, hiking, or running. She was always outside doing something. And back when she was still completing her degree, she actually got a job working at Nokia. Specifically, she was a lead documentation specialist, and she ended up taking this as a full-time job after she graduated. She ended up working at Nokia for four years, and then she moved on to other technical writing jobs in the software industry. And in these positions, Diana was making well over $100,000 a year. So she was doing pretty well for herself. So that brings us to when she met Greg, which was in 2005, March of 2005, while living in San Diego. And she actually met him on a dating site. And his name was Greg Mulvahill. He was 34 years old and also loved fitness. So they really had that in common. And he worked in tech. So they really could connect on a and Greg was born and raised in Oregon, but he ended up moving to California to work as a computer programmer in 2000. And Greg was also really successful in his career and very focused at work, very determined. So he really matched Diana's energy. And Diana was very happy with Greg and their relationship. Everything was going great. It seemed like they had met their perfect matches and their friends and family say that this was a very happy time of their lives. And so eventually, after two years of dating, the two of them decided to get married. They officially tied the knot in August of 2007 and then bought a home together in Carlsbad, California. Now, Carlsbad is an extremely... Affluent area, you could say. It's known for its beautiful beaches, lagoons, high end shopping, and most importantly, it's home to Legoland. So things are going great for them. They're happily married, they're successful, and they're really building. solid future together. Then in 2008, Diana decided to temporarily leave her traditional job and start seeing if she could make a career in physical fitness. She dedicated her time to being a fitness coach and helping people train specifically for triathlons. And around this time, Diana became a YouTuber. And this was early on in the days of YouTube, way before I was even on YouTube. And she did cooking tutorials, showing people quick, healthy, ready to eat meals. I know that you don't have all the we've got malice to feed. Welcome to my kitchen. So first, get out some angel hair and get ready to go. You need two cups of broccoli, eight ounces angel hair. My trick is fresh garlic, pressed, and ginger thinly sliced, sauteed with oil. For a minute. And in these videos, Diana seems very sweet, right? Very harmless. So eventually Greg and Diana decide that they want to start trying to have a baby. They want to start a family. But unfortunately, this was a difficult journey for them. They actually suffered eight miscarriages, which is so, so difficult to go through, especially eight of them. And with each loss, their relationship kind of took a bit of a hit. The details of why their relationship was kind of starting to crumble aren't really clear. But I know that miscarriages are not easy and they put a ton of stress on relationships. And by the eighth miscarriage, it was looking like their relationship was close to ending. They were arguing a lot and things were just not the same anymore. But then they tried one more time for a baby and this time... Diana was able to carry the baby full term, but her pregnancy for her baby boy was not easy. It was considered high risk from the beginning, and she faced a lot of difficulty throughout it. You know, from feeling sick, feeling weak, being unable to move some days. But she did end up delivering a healthy baby boy on September 12th, 2012. And even though they did experience a lot of joy after finally having a child of their own, after everything they had been through, Diana and Greg were still not happy with each other. By this time, Greg was unemployed. And he left Diana the pressure of being the sole breadwinner for the family, which really took a toll. She knew she really couldn't pursue the fitness gig full-time, but she continued that on the side and picked up another senior technical writer position at Salesforce in May, 2014. But working full-time and being a mother was not easy for her because she suffered from chronic fatigue and what she believed was fibromyalgia. And I can definitely sympathize with Diana. I also have fibromyalgia and it can sometimes be Debilitating. It's awful. It's a condition that causes full body pain, fatigue, and it can really take a physical and mental toll. And Diana was convinced that her son also had fibromyalgia. So by 2014, when their son was two years old, Diana and Greg hit a breaking point in their relationship. And it's been reported that one of the main contributing factors to the downfall of their relationship was Diana's kind of paranoia that her son was sick. She refused to take him to see anyone, but she insisted on giving him large doses of medication that is described as similar to mucinex. Greg, on the other hand, refused to believe that his son was sick. He didn't think he was actually, and he was very against him being given all of this medication. So Greg ended up filing for divorce in August of that year, ending their seven year marriage. He moved out, but he was committed to making a co-parenting situation work. But their divorce and battle for custody ended up lasting two years and it was extremely bitter. And it really got bad. One day when Greg got home from work, he was met by a sheriff who handed him a temporary restraining order from Diana turns out she had gone to the police station just days prior to this and told them that her husband was sexually abusing her. And not only that, she said that he was sexually abusing their son. And obviously an accusation like this is not going to just be brushed off in most cases. So when it came to settle their divorce... Diana was favored heavily. Child Protective Services and law enforcement ended up doing several evaluations, and in the end, Greg was only granted 10 hours a week of supervised visitation with his son. And this went on for a long time, and their son had to go through dozens of evaluations himself. And through it all, Greg maintained that he was innocent, that he would never harm his son. And by November of 2015, the investigation into the sexual assault claims ended and everyone involved agreed that there was no way that Greg could have been abusive towards their son. First of all, he showed no physical or psychological signs of abuse. And most of the evaluators ended up saying that Greg was an incredible father, that they were very impressed with him and how much their son loved him. And they actually said that they believe Greg should be the primary caretaker so at that point there was a ruling to change their custody agreement and Greg was given a 50 50 time split with Diana and not only that now Diana was gonna have to pay Greg $100 a month in child support. So eventually their divorce was finalized on June 26, 2016. In their settlement agreement, it was decided that Diana would keep their home, but pay Greg $120,000 within 90 days. And this really upset Diana, of course, because she had to sell her condo in Encinitas to obtain the money. So conveniently around this time, Diana picks up an interest in guns, and shooting. She decided she wanted to learn marksmanship. So she found a range called Iron Sights, which was not too far from her home in Carlsbad. Iron Sights is a public indoor shooting range where Diana bought a handgun and began shooting lessons. Eventually, she met an instructor named Weldon McDavid Jr., and she ended up taking private lessons with him. So Weldon was around 48, 49 years old when he met Diana, and he had a particular interest in her because she explained that her ex-husband was abusive and she wanted to protect herself from him and also protect her son and diana was actually not the first woman who came to weldon for private lessons specifically to protect themselves from an abusive partner a few years back there was a woman named crystal harris who came into the shooting range where weldon was working he remembers her walking into the store with a look on her face that he said he couldn't ignore so he asked how he could help her and crystal explained that she was looking for a gun because she was afraid for her and her son's life and weldon did not hesitate to help her. Weldon is a natural protector, actually. He served in the Marines for 12 years. But he told Crystal that if she was gonna be buying a gun, she needed to be prepared to kill her husband if that's what it came down to. And she told him that she had it in her, that she could kill her husband if she needed to. Okay, today I'm gonna teach the five-minute shooting lesson made famous here at Shooting range I work at. So, a little while after she purchased the gun, Crystal came into the shooting range and played Weldon an audio clip that she had recorded while she was being abused by her husband. And at that moment, Weldon said he remembered wanting that man dead. Crystal also decided at this time to go to the police and she brought in that audio recording as evidence. And he was arrested, but he made bail. And she feared for her life at that point so she contacted weldon so he ended up coming to her house and helped her find safe hiding places in her home and also taught her a handful of self defense moves luckily crystal's husband ended up being convicted of a sex crime before he could you know harm her any further and crystal publicly noted that weldon helped save her and this side story is important because it shows weldon's character and desire to help someone in danger so when Diana. Lovejoy showed up at the shooting range and told Weldon about her ex husband being abusive to her and her son. He felt like Diana was another woman in danger who needed his help. And the two of them grew pretty close pretty fast. And Weldon's wife, Leah, was not happy about this. She noticed that they were texting a lot and she felt like it was becoming inappropriate. And Weldon kept trying to tell her, you know, I'm just trying to help this woman. I'm trying to keep her safe, give her tips. There's nothing more to it. But Leah felt like Diana was texting her husband way more than needed. And that ended up leading to issues in their relationship. And the two of them also had a son. So that made... Weldon even more concerned about Diana and her son. So even though Greg had been awarded 50-50 custody of Diana and his son, Diana did not want to accept that, and she was still trying to fight for full custody in court. And throughout all their court hearings, she maintained that Greg was sexually abusive, even though several evaluations proved he wasn't. Greg knew that she was trying everything in her power to... Keep him from his son. So that brings us to September 1st, 2016. Greg gets a strange phone call during the night. It came in at about 1030 that night. Greg answers it. And when he does, there's a strange deep voice on the other end. He tells Greg that he's a private investigator and that he has some information regarding the custody of his son. In particular, he said he had some documents that he needed Greg to look over and When Greg asked to see the documents, he said he would have to show him them in person. This PI tells him that he will let him know where the documents are going to be and that he's going to have a short window of time to go there and view them. Two minutes later, he calls back and he tells Greg that they would be attached to a pole off a dirt path on Avenida Soledad, which is a very random place right off the road, as you can see from this map. And that's all he said. So Greg leaves this phone call feeling very worried very confused so he ends up calling non-emergency dispatch to see what they think is it safe for him to go and their consensus was you know it's ultimately up to him but they did tell him that it seemed a little off but ultimately Greg decides to go. He said he felt like he had worked so hard to clear his name and to get 50-50 custody of his son, so he didn't want to take any chances that the case could possibly be reopened, and he wanted to see what this was all about. But he decides he shouldn't go alone, so he calls up his boss, who's actually a good friend of his. His name is Jason Kavatch and the two of them go to this strange pole it was around 11 p.m that they arrived at the dirt path that leads to the pole they start tracking up the dirt path in search of this pole that contains these alleged documents now during the day finding this pole would have been really easy and relatively safe but that night it was the start of a new moon and it was one of the darkest days of the month as they head towards the pole They only have a small bicycle light with them as a flashlight. And their only weapon is a child's baseball bat that Jason is holding. So they use their light to kind of illuminate the path. And when they get to the pole, all they see is an angry bird's towel. They immediately felt weird about the whole situation. So Greg shines the light around the area. He doesn't see the papers on the pole, so he thinks maybe they blew away. He's looking around for them. Eventually he shines the light up the hill, and that's when he notices that they're not alone out there. He sees a man lying in the dirt, dressed in camo, pointing a sniper rifle. At them. After the second time of shining the light on it and staring at it for a second, I realized I was looking at a barrel and a scope of a gun. It's not clear who exactly said it, but one of them yells out gun or run. It's also not clear which word exactly was said. But anyway, point point gets across to both of them and they take off running the opposite direction. And this man laying on the ground starts shooting at them a total of seven times. And luckily only one of those shots actually hit Greg. He was shot in his chest to the left side of his heart. And he was, you know, just running on adrenaline. So he didn't even realize that he had been shot until they got back to the car. But once he realizes what happened, his body starts Shutting down, and he knew it was bad. Jason knew it was bad, so he decides to pull over and he calls nine one one. And Greg was bleeding onto the front seat of the car. Hello, this is nine one one. Yeah, I, uh My friend has just been shot. Do you know who shot him? There's a guy lying down like a sniper. A sniper? Did you see him at all? Briefly, we saw that the gun and he shot at us like six or seven times. Greg was quickly rushed to the hospital and. Police went out and searched the area and even had helicopters circling around to see if they could find this person. And at first, police thought they were looking for a random active shooter, that it was unrelated to why Jason and Greg were actually out there that night, that it was just random. And when they searched the area, they came up with with nothing literally nothing they didn't even find the shell casings and that made them feel like whoever they were looking for was experienced and had known to collect those before leaving the scene and i shouldn't say they didn't find anything because they did find something something very weird they found another towel and this one was covered in human feces and This towel was left where they believe the shooter was lying down. Sergeant Debbie Ernst was one of the first at the scene, and she remembered something helpful. She remembered that Greg had called non emergency dispatch right before this all happened and said that he was being called out there by a private investigator. So they asked Jason about it. He confirms it. He says, you know, he got this weird call and he asked me to join him because he was unsure about the situation. Now, thankfully, Greg survived and he was able to talk to investigators about what he experienced. And he also explained that he and his ex-wife, Diana Lovejoy, were in a horrible custody battle. And he also said that he did didn't believe she was the one who actually did the shooting so police obviously go interview diana and when they do her demeanor just doesn't sit right with them one officer even said that diana appeared to be giggling at one point they just felt like something was off but diana claimed that she had nothing to do with this and she had been home all night so the police knew that the best way and possibly only way that they're going to track down the person who actually committed the shooting is by figuring out who made that initial call to greg they felt like it was pretty obvious that greg had been lured out there and that it had something to do with his divorce and Custody of his son. So investigators start by tracing the cell phone number used to call Greg that night, and they learned that it was a prepaid burner phone, which was, you know, largely unhelpful. But they were, however, able to trace where the phone had been purchased, which was a local Best Buy. So police were able to obtain CCTV footage from that Best Buy, and they combed through the tapes waiting to see who exactly purchased that phone. And it wasn't long until they spotted none other than Diana Lovejoy in the footage Buying the phone that was used two weeks later to lure Greg to where he was supposed to be killed. And of course, this gave Carlsbad police enough evidence to arrest Diana and bring her in for further questioning. And they also searched her home and found the exact outfit that she was wearing in the Best Buy footage. But when they bring her in, Diana, of course, denies everything. She insists that she was home that night and had nothing to do with what happened to Greg. In the interrogation, the police straight up ask her if she had hired someone to kill her husband. And she says she didn't, but it only took a little more pressing for Diana to start opening up. She eventually tells investigators about her relationship with shooting instructor, Weldon McDavid Jr. and stated that Weldon volunteered to help protect her. And she also tells them that she and Weldon slept together. So it turns out Leah was right. And she says that she regretted this and it was only once. But further into the interrogation, Diana changes her story once again. And this time she says that she did hire Weldon, but not to kill Greg, just to scare him. She explains that she was hoping Weldon could scare Greg into giving her full custody of her son. She explains to police that she paid Weldon a thousand dollars and planned to give him another thousand dollars after this was over. But She never wanted him to kill Greg. She just wanted him to confront him and intimidate him, So they ask her to kind of walk them through the events of September 1st. And she does. She said that she picked up Weldon at the park and ride, and that he was carrying what looked to her like a rifle case. But when she asked him what was inside, he told her not to worry. And she told investigators that she didn't. And she didn't ask him any more questions after that. And then she confesses that she actually picked Weldon up after the confrontation was supposed to happen. And he said that things went wrong. She tells them that Weldon said he had no choice but to shoot. When they ask why he felt that way, she says, I don't know. I didn't ask him any more questions. So as soon as Diana names Weldon as the shooter, the SWAT team rushes to his home. But first they called his landline and told his wife, Leah, to grab their son and get out of the home. Not only were they planning on arresting Weldon and bringing him in for questioning, they were also going to be searching the entire home. They did not want to scare Leah and her her son, of course, so they asked her to go outside. Of course, mainly they're looking for the gun, and the SWAT team did find lots of guns, but not the one that they believe was used to shoot Greg. That is, until they reach the garage. In the garage, they find the upper and lower assemblies for an AR-15, which is what they believed he used. They were located under piles of foam and sleeping bags, so he tried to hide them. And the AR-15 had a silencer on it, which you <laughs> is illegal in California and not only that they also uncovered something called a brass bag which is used to catch the shell casings from a bullet and inside the brass bag there were seven shell casings which explains why they were not at the scene and they also searched his car where they found a camo jacket and black pants that were covered in dirt so this is pretty much a slam dunk the police have a solid case against Weldon at this point but just like Diana Weldon first tried to deny. Deny any connection to the shooting. He said he knew nothing about it and that he was home the entire night. So police ask for his cell phone and he refuses to hand that over. But they didn't even really need it at that point. They knew he was lying. So then they test that towel with human feces on it and it turns out they belong to Weldon. But even with that evidence, Weldon still tries to convince him that he was not the shooter. He said the reason he was actually out on that dirt road that day is because he was going for a run. And while he was out running, he had to take a shit. I was on a dirt road, just running along, and I did have to shit. So he uses this towel and decides to leave it out there. And that's why his DNA is out there. Not because he was the shooter. They asked him if he brought the towel out there with him. And he said, no, it was just there. And I just used it to wipe. It was convenient. But what he didn't know is they already knew that this towel belonged to Diana Lovejoy. They found a match for the towel, like a second towel that was exactly the same at the her house. So then, his story starts to shift, and he starts saying that he has been set up. He repeats this several times, and he ultimately knew that the police thought he was guilty. So he explained that Diana was setting him up. I'm being set up by who? In fact, I know I'm being set up. Who's setting you up? <laughs> He did admit that they had sex and that he believed he was protecting Diana against her abusive husband. So on September 12th, 2016, less than two weeks after the shooting, Diana and Weldon were arraigned on charges of conspiracy to commit murder and attempted murder. And of course, both of them entered a not guilty plea and their trial was set for October, 2017. The prosecuting attorney argued that Diana Lovejoy paid Weldon McDavid Jr. $2,000 to lure her ex-husband out to a remote location with the intent to kill. They argued that her motives were to A, get full custody of her son, and B, to get out of having to pay that $120,000 that was due to Greg just two weeks after he was shot. The prosecutor knew that Diana and her defense team would attempt to point fingers at Greg's alleged abuse, of course. So they decided to address it directly. Greg gets on the stand and they ask him if he had abused Diana or their son, and he says absolutely not. Greg explains that the reason he decided ultimately to go and see these documents that night is not because he was guilty of anything, but because he had worked so hard to gain equal custody that he didn't want to risk anything that would reopen the custody case. But the defense attorneys argued that no innocent man would go seek out this information unless they had something to hide, but Greg still maintains his innocence. The defense also argued that the only reason Greg was lured out to that spot that night It was not for the intention of being killed, but instead it was a way for Diana and Weldon to gather information against him. According to Weldon, he was simply there to take a video of Greg looking for this information, which he and Diana would use to reopen the custody case. They believed that an innocent person wouldn't have gone out seeking the information in the first place. And the defense argued that their intention was never to actually kill Greg. But why go out there dressed in camo with an AR-15? Well, Weldon says he did that for a few reasons. Number one, he was in the military for a long time and he was trained to always be prepared. He also testified that Diana told him Greg was a drug user who owned an unauthorized gun. So he brought his gun with him as a potential defense, just in case Greg attempted to cause him harm. Weldon also testified that he waited out there for greg that night but when greg got there he realized that his plan to secretly record him on his phone wouldn't work because his phone had a flashlight and greg would obviously see the flashlight and that would give him away and their secret plan would be ruined and he said by the time he made this realization greg was shining his flashlight right at him i could see jason and he was probably 30 or so feet ahead of me heading back towards the car And while we were running, I heard about six more rapid gunshots. So Weldon claimed that Greg having this flashlight gave him a tactical advantage because it would mess with his own vision in the event that he needed to defend himself. And that's when, according to Weldon, he heard Greg say, i have a gun so he argues that in self-defense he shoots at the flashlight greg was the one holding the flashlight and weldon said that by eliminating the flashlight he would no longer have a tactical advantage and that would give weldon the ability to defend himself if necessary this is his argument he claims that it wasn't Until a few seconds after Greg and Jason started running the opposite direction that he realized he'd actually shot Greg. But he says that this was an accident, and that becomes a main focus of the trial, whether or not this was accidental. And that's when they use this argument, which anytime I've seen this be used, it blows me away. But he argues in court with his defense attorney that he is such a good marksman that if he wanted or intended to kill Greg, he could have easily done so and Greg would be dead. And to back that up, they even brought in three witnesses to explain what a good marksman Weldon actually was. One of them was Billy Redder, who was his friend and student, And he stated on record that Weldon could easily hit a target 100 yards away, and Greg was only 20 yards away, so he would have no trouble killing him if that was actually his intention. Then they brought in a fellow Marine named Christopher Lozano, and he said that Weldon would have no issue hitting a center mass, even in bad lighting. He said that in the Marines, they are taught to shoot center mass, which is the largest area with the highest chance of death. He argued that if Weldon's intent was to kill, the darkness would not affect his ability to shoot Greg at center mass. Also, they brought in a man named Vincent Kaiser. He said that Weldon was a skilled, accurate, and expert rifleman, and he would have easily killed Greg if he wanted to. Weldon also testified to this, stating that he's worked as a firearms instructor for more than 17 years, and would have been able to accurately shoot Greg if he wanted him dead. If I had intended to kill, Mr. Mulvihill, he would have been dead, never intended that. So, in the prosecution's rebuttal, Greg White, who is also a firearms specialist and sergeant of the Carlsbad Police Department, also testified. And he brought up that the bullet had gone through Greg's armpit area and out the other side. He stated that if Weldon was actually such a good marksman that they were arguing he was, he would have easily been able to hit the flashlight that Greg was holding. Instead, he believes that Weldon intentionally shot Greg in the chest, and when Greg turned to run, it changed the center mass and therefore he missed. So, Basically, his argument was that he absolutely intended to kill Greg that night. So next, it was time to convince the jury that Diana was guilty as well and prove that this was premeditated. So the prosecution ended up bringing in Diana's aunt to testify. And her aunt, who is also named Diana, testified that at a restaurant on Christmas Day 2015, her niece pulled her aside and asked her if she could help her find someone to kill Greg. She claims that she told her she had, quote, All the details figured out and just needed someone to do it can you help me find someone to kill greg her aunt said that diana made her promise not to tell anyone about this and what's crazy is a police deputy was actually at that restaurant that day and overheard this conversation he contacts diana and she at the time defended her niece about it so ultimately diana and weldon were found guilty on one count of attempted murder and one count of conspiracy to commit murder. Verdict, we the jury in the above entitled cause find the defendant, Diana Jean Lovejoy, guilty of the crime of attempted murder of Greg Mulvihill. We further find true the allegation that Diana Jean Lovejoy acted willfully, deliberately and with premeditation. We further find true the allegation that Diana Jean Lovejoy was vicariously armed with a firearm. Within the meaning of penal code section 12022, paren A, n. 1. Diana received a sentence of 26 years to life in prison, and Weldon received 50 years to life. He also was required to pay a half a million dollars in punitive damages to Greg. And when Weldon was receiving his sentencing, Diana ends up passing out in the courtroom. We, the jury, in the above entitled cause, find the defendant, Weldon K. McDavid, Guilty of the crime of conspiracy oh, to commit murder. Hang on. <laughs> All right, we're going to need to take a break. We're done. And if we could have a jury, we'll back This was very dramatic, and some people question whether or not it's real. I have no idea. You guys will have to let me know your thoughts on that. But she was wheeled out in a stretcher. So they had to bring them back in at a later time for their sentencing. And when they did, Diana maintained her innocence and said that she loved Greg and still cared about him. I still care about Greg in as much as he... I did love him. I loved him a lot. And I really cared about him and I still care about Greg. would never take Kale's father away from him. I would never be able to do that. Weldon also maintains his innocence and still to this day says that it was a shooting error. I did not intend to shoot Mr. Mulvihill. I'm sorry that I shot Mr. Mulvihill. It was an aiming error as I stated previously. And of course, both Weldon and Diana tried to appeal their sentences, but they were both overturned. And there isn't too much information out there as far as how Greg is doing or how his son is doing, but I assume they're both doing a lot better with Diana behind bars. It's so crazy to me how desperate people will get, especially when it comes to divorce situations or relationships ending in turmoil. To think it's that easy to just go out and hire someone to kill your husband is pretty wild. The one thing that does get me about the whole situation is that she was only gonna pay him two grand seems pretty low but at the same time Weldon seems like the kind of guy that would have done this with or without the money he wanted to protect women from abusive men. And again, I just want to make it clear that there is no evidence that Greg was abusive to Diana or to their son in any way. It's all just going back to what Diana claims. And again, there were several evaluations done by different agencies and none of them found a shred of evidence that Greg was abusive. In fact, they all thought or most of them thought that Greg should be the primary caretaker. So I think that says a lot.